So uh, this week, we are doing what we've done before in kind of experimenting with how people receive teaching and attention spans and whatnot, and we're splitting <laughs> the sermon into two parts. So that's why I'm up here early. I'll, I'll, give, I'll break down the passage in this first section for about 10 minutes, and then we'll go to our coffee break connection time, and then we'll come back and I'll preach some more. And uh, uh, yeah. sometimes we need a pit stop, right? A pit stop to be like, uh, you know, like chew on that word. You know, what what the heck was Pastor Dave saying anyways? So that's what we're gonna do, and you can leave your comments in the offering box too, uh, if you feel like it. Like that doesn't work. Or wow, that was really good. You have a coffee break in between that. So. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Uh, we are at Ephesians 3 already. Um, and this is the first part of Ephesians 3. Um, and I'm actually reading from the NIV version, so it will match your pew Bibles if you want to look at, look at your pew Bibles. Um, verses 1 through 13. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already briefly written. In reading then this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, and members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of his mystery, for which ages past has been hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. May God's word shape us and form us. It's weird. I think that uh, fire engine goes by at the same time during scripture reading, reading every single time. It's like someone lights a fire every, or a cat gets stuck in a tree every time, 1024 on Sunday morning. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> But uh, how many of you have seen the uh, movie, the 2005 or 2006 movie, War of the Worlds? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's an underrated movie. Yes. Very underrated. Tom Cruise, uh, what is her name? Dakota Fanning. Very good. Very good. But basically, the plot summary of, World of the War of the Worlds is that extraterrestrials, aliens, attack their Earth with war machines. And these war machines are on three legs and they shoot, right? And they're called tripods, or giant insect-looking mechanical tripods. And the main character, played by Tom Cruise, is Ray, who's a longshoreman 
Um, and he's been estranged from his ex-wife and his children. Uh, but in the movie, the wife uh, is going to Boston and, and uh, drops the kids off with Tom Cruise, with Ray, and he's with them. Um, but what happens is that these tripods emerge from the ground and start attacking cities, right? And apparently aliens, alien pilots, are transported from through what looks like lightning from Mars um, or whatever planet they're from, and they, they're, they're transported in, into these tripods to pilot these tripods to attack the Earth. But the amazing thing was that what we learned in the movie is that these tripods had been buried, submerged underneath the Earth for millions of years, right? And when you think about this, and the attack is now happening, and so when 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 the aliens are kind of zapped into these tripods, they they come out of the earth and start attacking it. And I just I'm reflecting on this the amount of strategic planning, right, that had to go on. So the vision and the foresight to bury these things thousands, millions of years beforehand for an attack way, 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 way later when the resources on their planet were up and they were looking to take over another planet. It reminds me of the movie Inception, right? <laughs> it's like you know, someone whose vision and mind is way surpassing yours and surrounds yours. They just plant a little seed of an idea right, into your head, into your mind. And that seed or inception begins to grow and take meaning and kind of create a new reality for you. And this is what this planting of the tripods is, is this alien race having the foresight to, to plan an attack so early in the game. And it blows me away because I'm a spontaneous, spontaneous person. I sometimes speak extemporaneously, like I am right now. Um, but uh, just like the planning behind this. And I think this helps me to understand where Paul is coming from when he talks about mystery. The word, the Greek word mysterion is used a few times in our passage. And it, it's translated mystery. But if you think of mystery in the English language, what do you think of, right? Mystery is something shrouded in secrecy. It's something that can never be understood or completely grasped, right? It evades possession and control. It's inexpressible and unexplicable. And maybe only a few elite have access Right to this mysterious thing. Like when I was a teenager and college student, women or girl, females of the opposite sex were a mystery. Right? It was like never to be understood and grasped. Right? And you have that whole putting women on a, on a pedestal. Right? Like, you know, I idolize certain people from a distance. And put them on pedestals. Like, I can never fully understand them. But later in life, you 
relationships are quite plain and everyday, right? It requires communication and right concrete things is what makes builds trust in a relationship. There's nothing like pedestally or mysterious about it. But when Paul uses the word mystery, he means something very different. It's not for the elite. It's not for the chosen select few. It's not inexpressible and inexplicable. It's not totally evasive. You can never, you, you'll always run away from it. But the word mystery in the original Greek um, meant a truth someone is initiated into. Right? And it's clear that this truth that people are being initiated into for Paul is not something that's closely guarded. Right? It's not for an elite view. It's not for the educated view. But it's for and in this case, the very nature of the mystery is that which gives it access, right? Because the mystery is that Christ died in order that the distance between us, humanity, and God would be reconciled, that the hostility and enmity, the space between would be made closer, the vertical. And then the horizontal, the space between us and one another would be made tighter, right? The wall we talked about last week, the barriers, the barriers of hostility would be broken in Christ. And then specifically uh, for this letter to the Ephesians, it's the enmity, the hostility, and the barrier between the Jewish people and the Greeks, the Gentile believers in the church. Same. Christ died and resurrected so that he could make a new humanity, right? a new society, an international community of both groups coming as one for the worship of God. Right? Christ is now creating in relation to himself a new international community, a reconciled community bound together in Christ and rising up to a new temple, a relational temple. Um, so when Christ, or when Paul is talking about mystery, right, it just means a revelation. Right? It just means, uh, he says it himself, right, in past generations, they didn't know about this, op this idea, this mystery. That all all peoples would have approach can approach God with freedom and confidence and equal access. Right? And if, if you remember in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were a covenant people, and you you can see that there's a different emphasis in the Old Testament that God put in ritual and rules and commandments so that the people would be set apart from all the other people that they would come across in different lands, right? You see the rules about don't intermarry, for instance. What's cross-cultural about that? God is like being an isolationist, right? What, what's, what's up with that? Don't intermarry. But what God was interested at that time was the identity, shaping 
blue water into this red, red water, like eight gallons of red water, this droplet of, red, of blue water, you're just going to like be diffused into it. I, I need you to be blue oily oil. And that was the point, is set apart in your identity. But the end game, right? So that's the tripod, right? He's burying the tripod. <laughs> Are you with me? That's the inception. He's burying the tripods in the ground through his people, through a select people, right? But the end game is not world domination, <laughs> but that through his people, all nations will be blessed. That was always attached to the commandment, to the covenant. That all nations will be blessed through you. But the, the problem came when this it became a cultural, ethnic thing. Being people of God is this mystery, this eliteness, this, this separate thing that only we can be a part of that only we have access to. And in that way, righteousness and purity and cleanness became attached to only this people, only doing it this way, only our culture. And so you lose kind of the thrust, right? You lose the dream and the vision, the end game, and focusing on the wrong thing. And just like that lightning bolt that sends the pilots into the tripods and they rise up later, Paul is saying, now this is the right time. Isn't that amazing? God, it's not relative. God works through history, specific points in history. Jesus came at a specific time in history. And this ministry to the Gentiles, open, the gospel opening up to the Gentiles, came at a very specific time in history. And Paul says it right here. Past generations didn't know it. But now, by God's grace, he's made me an administer of this mystery that's been made clear to me, and it's going to be made clear to you, has been made clear to you if you've been reading what I've been writing. It's clear now. So it's not this, it's not this big mystery, but this mystery is clear. It's available to everyone. And in fact, it's not like available to an elite, educated, rich, privileged class. Paul begins in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. If you remember, Paul is a prisoner. And why is Paul in prison? Because he's in prison for the sake of the Gentiles. Right? The mobs were sent to him because people felt threatened. Because what Paul was preaching, they were saying, was, was arousing rebellion against the Jewish people and the temple. And so they're like, wait, 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 wait! And so Paul was arrested because he was adamant and passionate about ministry to the Gentiles. Because what he saw was this mystery being revealed to him. Oh, God wants to open up his people. Right? Now is the Kairos moment. Now the gateway is opening. The tripod is emerging from the ground. Right? 
it's a tripod of peace, though, <laughs> to carry the gospel to other parts beyond Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. That's the vision in Acts, right? To break out further. And so the first step in that is Gentiles have access to you. They may eat pork, right? They may, like, do weird things. Like, they have dance parties and they do the hive and the floss and, whoa, that looks, that looks weird. Thanks, guys. That, I set them up as a demonstration. It's like, we just had kids do the hype and the floss in our sanctuary. What? Right? And we don't know, right? I bet if you did some more cultural kind of studies to, to that time, we don't know fully what, like, the, the conflict points would be of a church of Jews and, Gen and Gentiles, right? Like what the meals look like. They probably ate separately. What did worship look like? Like what if Gentiles were bringing some of pagan elements, not the pagan elements themselves, but how they structured worship or how they praised looked kind of different. Differences. We don't know the full extent of those differences, but they're definitely there and they're creating uh, creating division. Much less perception, right? We are better than you. You are other. You think you're better than us. But I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. I'm experiencing God's Spirit my life as well. This is very real to me. I believe in Jesus. But you think I'm not real. Right? Um, again, in verse 7, Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. He's already said, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. I'm a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. Right? And then he tells them at the end, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings. So it's not an elite privilege thing to have initiation into this truth. It actually is countercultural. Right? It's actually a secret that's going to bring persecution. It has brought persecution and suffering to Paul. But he gives his so clear to him now, this revelation of God, this mystery, that he makes it his life calling. Right? And he goes to prison for it. He suffers because of it. And he's committed to preaching this to everyone so that they'll know. In spite of critics, right? in spite of persecution, Paul now has great clarity that gospel, that the gospel is for all, and to make this plain and clear to everyone. So I don't know if you have the next slide here. Well, what is this great mystery, really, that Paul is talking about? One, Christ, uh, by his death and resurrection, Christ crushed the enmity between
between God and people and the Jew-Gentile hostility. Secondly, Christ is now creating in relation to himself a single new multicultural, oh, this is a quote from John Stott. Christ is now creating in relation to himself a single new multicultural human society, which is both the family of God, love, and the temple he lives in. And thirdly, the church will be a new international community, organically and relationally bound together with Christ. This is the mystery of Paul who is living right in the middle of this new transition. His inception is taking, taking, is taking fruition creating a new reality. Uh, I want you, everyone to hold on to the inception piece and come back for the next few weeks in our Ephesians series because it's gonna, it's gonna, it's the key that unlocks. So this mystery for Paul is less of a hazy, cloudy ball of unknowing and more like a gem. It's not a jewel to be locked up and possessed by the elite, rich, and famous, but something that can be passed on democratically to everyone and multiplied and spread and given away to the common person. And this jewel for Paul is worth suffering. If you remember the parable of the treasure treasure hidden in the field, remember? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure which a man finds in the middle of a field. So he goes and sells everything he has in order to buy that field. He goes all in because of this treasure that he finds, that he stumbles upon. Paul has stumbled upon a great treasure, a revelation, a mystery, and he's sold everything and gone all out and all in in order uh, to take up this jewel and say, oh, it's, it's a precious jewel, but all of you can have it. For we have this treasure in clay jars, right? Let's pray and go to our connection time. And uh, I want to like keep preaching. Stop! <laughs> God, thank you for uh, your word. And may we keep chewing on the cud of your scripture um, so we can regurgitate it and chew on it some more and like spit it out and give it to our neighbor and have them chew on it and give it back to us so that we can more fully with spreads the life know your word. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. May God's word shape us and form us. The manifold wisdom of God be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm, according to his eternal purposes uh, accomplished in Christ Jesus. Um, that this would be made known through the church, right? That God's manifold wisdom would be made through the church. And when you, when you think about uh, knowledge or wisdom, 
And where do you go to find knowledge? Right? I bet 80% of the time I go to Wikipedia to do a Google search. And I don't know if that's completely the reliable source, but if I don't know about something, I need to go to Google. And we just trust it, right? Inherently, if we Google it and it shows up, it must be true. Right? Do you, do you check your sources? And I know in this day and age, even on Facebook, you have like information about this website or this, this contributor. So because we need to be more conscientious in, in the news that we receive and read. But we get our knowledge and wisdom from a lot of places. And we don't necessarily check them or, or kind of hold ourselves accountable to, whoa, is this truth? Right? Is this really wisdom? If the fashion website that I looked up said, yes, you can wear red plaid underneath a green sweat sweater, that's great. That's beautiful. I didn't ever look that up. I just wear whatever I want. But another site might say, do you really want to look like you're a Christmas tree? Like Mr. Poinsettia. And it's interesting that we get our information from everywhere. And in this day and age, in our culture of fake news, different news outlets will give you a different flavor. So what do you trust? Right? Who do you trust? Who do we trust? And I think of that as amazing that his intent, intent, God's will and intent now is that through the church, his manifest wisdom would be made known. Right? Through the church. There's so many. Uh, if you go back to Genesis, I'm going to go back to Genesis. Uh, the Tower of Babel, right? The Tower of Babel, what was that about? That was about, let us build a tower so that we can reach God. And it really goes back to uh, the serpent saying, did God really say? Right? Did God really say this? If you eat of this tree of knowledge, then you will surely die. I don't think you're going to die. So what the serpent is introducing is a different knowledge, right? A fake news, if you will, an all-fact, saying that what God says is not really wise and true. Actually, what's going to happen is this. And that is what's happening at Babel is, oh, we can do it a different way. We know a different way. We can achieve this by building this tower. And Christ abolished this by doing the counterintuitive, right? By the Christian tells us, he humbled himself, making himself nothing. Though he was God and stood next to God, he humbled himself and died on the cross. Though the world was about power and strength and how much money do you have, how loud is your voice, what is your status, your position, what is your ethnic background, who are your parents? How much money do you have in your bank account? Though the world determines power and knowledge and wisdom and status in this way, Christ, who was God, who was actually above all of this, actually became nothing. And that was what broke the temple veil and broke everything down and kind of like made everything horizontal. The manifold wisdom of God expressed Um, that this 
I serve, do this and this, do this many mission trips, then I become more righteous. I climb another rung. It's less about that and it's about a family coming together and being relational. What are we building in this place? This is what Paul's talking about. And according to him, the building is rising up a bunch of a bunch of people coming together. It's made up of people. Right? And as a church, we are rising up as witnesses of Christ's glory and his peace working work together in humility. And this is a relational dynamic. Right? Like I really think we can we can make this church grow more rapidly. Pour a little, you know, I can ask the conference, give us a little more money. We'll put up some, uh, hire some professionals, like professional children's ministers, professional youth person. Let's pour some money into really renovating this building quickly and putting some flat screens in here. Take out that reader board, make it a digital thing. And like, people are actually like, That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> and have programs, right? We could just start programs and place staff members at each of those things. You know, I'll fundraise for that and we'll do it and it'll just draw people, right? What is the world building up? And what are we as the church being called to build up? Amen? actually have different 
opinions, right? Even though I personally like when people agree with me, right? I know the best thing is when not everyone agrees with me. Right? And that's actually what reconciliation is. Right? And a lot of places, families, churches, we like to sweep things under the rug. Conflict is, we avoid conflict. Oh, it's good. Unity, unity, together. But really, what does together mean, right? When we say together, we usually don't do the hard stuff that it really takes to be together and be reconciled and reconcile people. We brush things under, under, right? And there are elephants in the room all the time. And the elephant's going bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why things in churches like worship wars happen. And it's like, that elephant, I like hymns, I like hymns, I like hymns. The music's too loud. I like contemporary music, I like contemporary music. We should like blast the drums. And the elephant gets bigger and bigger. And no one talks about it. Instead, we're like, oh, let's just do two services. Let's, now let's do three services and add a nighttime and a middle service. And we don't talk about what, what's making our preferences, like what makes us not want to be around each other in worship, essentially. <clears throat> right? But actually, reconciliation takes leadership and people willing to take that elephant and put it right here. Let's talk about this elephant. Why is that elephant there? What are we really having a problem with? <coughs> Not sweep, don't sweep it under the rug because the elephant's not going under that rug. <laughs> Let's talk because we believe because of Jesus, we can argue and have conflict and his grace will cover us. That's what marriage is too, right? It's a covenant. We're committed to each other no matter what, our, what we argue about, right? We're still going to come back together. We're still going to be married. And that's what a fellowship, <laughs> maybe, I'm going to walk away. <laughs> and our church, I think the death of the American church is because we find it too easy to walk away from church, from community. If we don't like it, I'll just go to another place. I don't like the worship, so I'm going to go to another place. I don't like the preaching, I'm going to go to another place. Right? The kids' ministry sucks, I'm going to go to another place. There's no youth ministry. I'm going to go to another place. And we just move, 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 move. You know, in the Korean American church community, I won't post this online either, but like, <laughs> you swear there's like a group, a carousel. Like that. This church grows and like, oh, they're growing up. And then something happens and like, all of a sudden this Korean American church over there is growing. And it's all the people that came from over here. And like, over 10, after 10 years, they come back. So like, just on the 10th year, be the new pastor that be like, I did it, I did it. This is carousel. Yeah. It's not the, right? That's the wisdom of the world, the consumer mentality. The wisdom of God that the church should represent is what does it look like to have committed, right, relationships where we are into each other and for each other, even if we're different. That's the way. That's a lot harder, right? That is a lot harder. And that's why the 
disciples, lift up your chin and look out. The harvest is ripe. It's coming. Right? This Samaritan woman that you mocked, she actually went to town, and they're all coming. And you guys are navel-gazing. Like, look up and look out. An army is coming. A harvest is coming. And Paul's like, man, you see, like, I see the world, the whole world, knowing Jesus as a gospel. And we can't have this bottleneck right here. We need to smash this bottleneck. And so for application for us um, as a church, this is, um, we are actually tomorrow at 6.30 in the evening, we have a UX user experience meeting led by Paul. It's our second one, user experience two. Basically, how do people visitors or guests that come to Renew experience Renew and worship. But I think a piece of that, and Paul said the homework reflection question is like, how do non-believers respond to Renew when they come? How do people that aren't a part of our traditional worship respond to Renew? I don't know what question you gave. Like, What's a theological experience? That you give up is there such thing as a theologically correct? That goes at that whole righteousness thing, right? You need to do things this way and worship this way in order to be righteous, right? But is there really, you know, like, what does that mean, right? Is something theologically correct or is it all like opinion, right? Or kind of contextualized um, approaches to things? I think those are great questions. Uh, and they get at what, what creates barriers of hostility uh, in the church. I know for me, an example is uh, I grew up in the church, and so when we first started off, started off, we met in a community center. And I loved it. I'm like, I never want to be in a traditional church. I want to worship in a community center because it's a building just like the community. It's a, it's, a, it's a contextual building, right? There's no pews, there's no stage, there's no glass stained windows, there's a popcorn ceilings are gone, right? There's modern lighting, and like, it's so beautiful, and the community comes in and knows the building, is familiar with the building. It's not a strange place that we have to add to our list of experiences, right? And then when I came to live, when we came here, I was dubious. I was like, we got to unscrew these pews. Let's put in chairs. Let's break the stained glass window. But actually, other people are like, I like it. I like it. And I was like, what, 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 what? Um, and then we were reading more stuff about millennials. Um, and they're like, it isn't like necessarily like changing all these things and making them more modern and contemporary. It's, it's just being real and authentic in the space that you're in. It is about the relationships. It is about the people. It is about the ethos, right? Um, and for me, it was like, actually, these are the types of things that keep non-believers out or people who didn't grow up in the church. Pews, and like that smell of the wood, like, oh, I detest it. It brings up bad memories for me. Um, I'm not sure what it is. Because we're experiencing 
user experience, right? So being aware of who we are and how we present ourselves to the community and knowing that there are certain things um, that are non-negotiable, but there are definitely a lot of things we can let go of and be flexible with. And I think this is what Paul's starting with. He's challenging the church, this new age church. Be flexible with the things that can be flexible with. Because look at the people coming. Come on. Amen? Let the gospel speak for itself. Right? Don't go in front of the gospel and be like, oh, 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 wait, wait. You know? Like, because it's rolling. And there's a party behind it. And everyone's going to be like, that's beautiful. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for this church and for the, the voices of the children coming in and just how beautiful already um, you're making us. You're making us a community and family in you. And I pray that uh, we'll get to know one another more deeply and that in this knowing, uh, we would be a witness to your glory and a witness to uh, Jesus, your work on the cross, and uh, the power of your resurrection, and the intent 